The Texas heat wave brings new urgency to efforts to protect people who work outdoors. Texas cities are in a battle with the state for local control, but we're going to do everything possible to protect uh, our most vulnerable workers. How concerns about worker safety are fueling a power struggle between cities and the state that could play out in court. New developments in the battle over the water barriers on the border. How the orange obstacles are pitting Governor Abbott against the White House over who controls border policy. New estimates show the prevalence of Alzheimer's disease in Texas counties. We examine reasons why some places have higher numbers and how the data could help get resources to the people most in need. Produced from the Capitol in Austin and airing statewide, this is the award-winning State of Texas. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Josh Hinkle. Some Texas cities are in a power struggle with the state. In the past week, San Antonio joined Houston to sue over a law set to take effect on September 1st. Opponents call it the Death Star Bill, saying it destroys local ordinances for things like labor and environmental regulations. Supporters say cities should be banned from having rules that go beyond state law. They say that keeps regulations consistent for businesses, which is good for jobs. There was uh, concern from the small business community in particular um, that cities were starting to step outside of their regulatory jurisdiction and regulate things that had always been traditionally regulated on the state and or federal levels. Specific questions over who has what authority might have to be settled in court. San Antonio's assistant attorney says the bill's language is vague and will make the city subject to frivolous lawsuits. It's so vague, we aren't sure at this point which provisions of the code are subject to challenge under it. You could go out and ask 20 different very high-level attorneys, tell me which of these ordinances are impacted by it, and he'd probably end up with 20 different lists of ordinances because it's so vague. One big concern is the law's potential effect on laws meant to protect workers, including regulations to require rest breaks. However, supporters say federal law already guarantees the right to a safe work environment. But to protect outdoor workers, some local officials in Texas are fighting the state over ways to regulate labor standards. And as our Ryan Chandler reports, the issue is getting the attention of the White House. Heat is the number one killer, more than tornadoes and floods combined. Looking up over Texas's booming cities, you can't escape the cranes or the searing hot sun. Those who work under both are battling the most dangerous element. Just as these summers continue to get this warm, we need to be have, have ways to be able to mitigate that, to keep people safe. That's where we need uh, a lot of this help. That danger brought Texas to the West Wing on Thursday. San Antonio in an all-time heat index high of 117 last month. President Biden announced new measures to protect workers as Texas cities fight the state for their own protections. Texas cities are in a battle with the state for local control. As San Antonio sues the state to keep its local labor laws, the White House is stepping in, directing the Department of Labor to ramp up inspections of construction sites and investing $7 million to help the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration forecast extreme weather events sooner. Steps we're taking to help communities prepare, plan, and recover and make our nation more resilient in future heat waves. Texas will soon preempt thousands of local ordinances in a new law aimed at removing barriers to business, 
including potentially local water break requirements on construction sites. San Antonio joined Houston this week to stop the law before it takes effect. We're going to do everything possible to protect uh, our most vulnerable workers, especially those outdoor workers, uh, for basic things like being able to access water breaks. Ryan Chandler, State of Texas. The Texas congressman is trying to get the Biden administration to do more to protect workers. Austin Democrat Greg Kassar staged a thirst strike on the steps of the Capitol in Washington. He went without drinking water for several hours. Kassar was joined by workers, union leaders and members of Congress. The event was meant to draw attention to the call for federal rules to require rest and water breaks. Whether you work in a warehouse or you're digging a trench or you're building uh, a roof, you should have the right to be able to come off a scaffold, stop working if you're feeling sick, and get a drink of water. Kassar ended his strike after nearly nine hours. Critics dismissed the effort as a stunt. Kassar called it a step toward what he called positive change. Data from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics shows the risk workers face in hot conditions. Since 2011, more than 400 workers have died due to environmental heat exposure, and thousands more are hospitalized every year. Since the start of the decade alone, there have been 92 work-related heat deaths, with 56 in 2020 and 36 in 2021. Controversy brings unwanted attention to Texas A&M. How accusations of political pressure affecting academics are leading to change on campus. The legal battle over the border has Texans taking sides. The fallout after a federal lawsuit to make the state take down a buoy barrier on the Rio Grande. Support for gun control on the campaign trail. We put a candidate's claims in context in the race for U.S. Senate in Texas. Controversy puts Texas A&M in the spotlight. Earlier this month, the university's president stepped down after claims that political pressure derailed plans to hire a black professor. Then just this past week came news that a professor was temporarily suspended after she allegedly said something negative about Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick during a lecture. The events are bringing new questions about academic freedom at A&M. And for a closer look, we're joined now by Kate McGee, who reports on higher education for the Texas Tribune. Welcome, Kate. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So you've been covering these stories. Let's start with the issue involving the lieutenant governor, who was the professor who was got suspended and what happened to lead up to the controversy there. Yes, so she was giving a guest lecture at the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston about the opioid crisis, which is her area of expertise, um, when she made a comment about the lieutenant governor, which no one has been able to confirm verbatim for us what exactly she said, but it was something about the policy decisions um, in the lieutenant governor's office and the impact they can have on preventing opioid-related deaths. Um, and we have confirmed that the daughter of Land Commissioner Don Buckingham was in that class, um, and A&M confirmed that this complaint started with the Land Commissioner Don Buckingham, who called Dan Patrick, who then reached out to the Texas A&M University Chancellor John Sharp to alert him of these compl this complaint that had been made about the comments. Um, and then from there, it kind of went down the chain of command from the system to the university. And by the end of the day, um, the professor was put on administrative leave pending some kind of investigation um, by the, the university into what had happened. 
You know, we kind of alluded to this, but earlier this month, A&M President Catherine Banks resigned amid some other controversy. What happened there? Yes, so um, uh, a few months ago, or last month rather, the university announced that it hired uh, Kathleen McElroy to launch the uh, new journalism program that it was reviving at Texas A&M. Um, they did this whole signing ceremony for her to come um, from UT Austin to Texas A&M to leave this new program. Um, but as we reported, um, McElroy told us in the event between that signing June 13th, that signing ceremony into uh, early July, the university started to kind of walk back its initial offer to give her a tenured position as a professor and to run this program and started offering different um, iterations of that agreement. First, she said it was a five-year contract, and then ultimately they offered her a one-year contract uh, to teach, which she ultimately said she could not take and, and felt like you know, they were trying to say they did not want her there anymore. And that in that kind of back and forth, they had... Uh, members of the university had alleged to her that there were outside forces unhappy with her work in diversity and um, her kind of background as a previous editor for the New York Times that had caused some heartburn with with people in the A&M community and was ultimately why they started to kind of walk back this negotiation. The university has denied that, but then suddenly um, last week the president resigned and said that the negative media attention um, was going to force her to step back. There's still a lot of unknowns in kind of what had happened there that we're waiting to try and report out. So that story is definitely not over. Yeah, what's the response been like on campus? The faculty senate at Texas A&M has been extremely vocal about their concerns and disappointment with how things have played out. They've had multiple meetings with uh, the university pres, the then university president Kathy Banks before she resigned and with the system chancellor John Sharp about both of these issues. They announced um, earlier this week, last week that they are going to be having additional conversations with the new interim or acting president Mark Welsh in August to try and get some more answers from him about what exactly happened with these situations, uh, particularly the Alonzo case. Um, and a lot of faculty, my colleague Alejandro Serrano spoke to a lot of faculty members about just the morale hit that this has taken at the university. There's concerns about retention issues for faculty and recruitment. Who would want to come to a university where there is such uh, blatant examples of political overreach? And I think there's just a lot of concern about what kind of um, reputation or damage con damage that this has done to A&M's reputation moving forward. All right, Kate McGee, higher education reporter for the Texas Tribune. Thank you so much for following this and for joining us. Thank you. New developments in the battle over the water barriers on the border. How the orange obstacles are pitting President Biden against Governor Abbott over who controls border policy. A Democrat looking to unseat Senator Ted Cruz makes gun reform a central issue. But there's a question about a key statistic he uses to make his case. We put his claim in context. Newly released data gives us a closer look at the impact of Alzheimer's in Texas. Why some counties have higher rates than others. The legal battle over the border, drawing more defenders to each side. 
just over a week after the Biden administration announced it would sue Texas to remove the buoys near Eagle Pass, support for each camp continues to build. The state maintains the buoy chains deter migrants from crossing illegally at the point crews deploy them. The Department of Justice charges they block the flow of traffic on the Rio Grande in violation of federal law. That's in addition to the humanitarian concerns the DOJ cited in letters to Texas leaders. The one person that is sowing chaos is Governor Abbott. That's what he continues to do, political stunts in an inhumane way. Uh, he's actively undermining our border enforcement plan, which again has the lowest level of unlawful border crossings in over two years. He's making this more difficult. In a letter, Governor Greg Abbott welcomed the lawsuit and told the president, quote, your finger points in the wrong direction. The governor has consistently blamed the Biden administration's policies, saying Texas has a constitutional right to defend its borders. Just days ago, congressional Republicans echoed that call. One of the loudest voices is from Central Texas. Every Texan, and all these guys will attest, every Texan is sick and tired of a federal government abandoning its duty to secure the border, leaving Texans exposed to death, destruction, cost, and finding, frankly, uh, the worst kind of abuses of humanity occurring in our own state because the federal government refuses to do its job. Congressman Roy cited examples of organized crime taking advantage of migrants, helping to smuggle them into the country, sometimes leading to their deaths. Congressman Roy and other Texas Republicans lawmakers say the federal government has lost control of the border. They make the case that the Constitution says Texas has the right to defend its own border. I think it's clear and I think it's explicit that, in fact, the governor and the leaders of all sovereign states have that right. And I think it's obviously uh, plain for all Americans to see that. And, and when you look at the data, it obviously supports the fact that there is imminent danger. Arrington specifically cited deaths from fentanyl as one indication of the imminent danger along the border. He added that he believes the Supreme Court will end up deciding to what degree Texas can take action along the border. June's number of migrant encounters released by Customs and Border Protection is the lowest month total since President Joe Biden's first full month in office two years ago. But to add some extra perspective, migration patterns have definitely changed this year. Here's a look at the sector breakdown for the Southwest Border Patrol. Darker colors on the map show areas with the most migrant encounters. From the start of the year up until the end of Title 42 pandemic health rules, El Paso had the highest numbers. Then in May, the pattern shifted with the Rio Grande Valley seeing the most. But in June, the Del Rio sector, which includes Eagle Pass, ended up with the most people moving their way. Amid the immigration debate, there are new efforts to improve bridges along the border. A bipartisan group of lawmakers visited Texas hoping to boost trade between Texas and Mexico. At a news conference in Laredo this past week, U.S. Senator Ted Cruz announced efforts to expedite four new bridge projects connecting the U.S. and Mexico. He was joined by Democratic Representative Henry Cuellar. Both pointed out that helping trade helps Texas. The jobs in South Texas are driven powerfully by the trade and commerce that goes back and forth across this bridge and across the other bridges along the Rio Grande. Alongside these new bridges, the World Trade Bridge in Laredo would get extra lanes to help with traffic.
We're back with another installment of Campaign Context. It's our series providing you some clarity on some of the things you're hearing from political candidates of all parties as we inch toward election season. Democratic Texas State Senator Roland Gutierrez is hoping to unseat U.S. Senator Ted Cruz next year. Speaking to KXAN amid the launch of his Senate campaign, Gutierrez mentioned this statistic several times regarding guns. 66% of Republicans are in favor of common sense guns, gun reform. I asked Gutierrez's office where he got that number. His press secretary pointed me to this, a UT Austin, Texas politics project poll from April. The poll asked Texans how they feel about two separate gun reform proposals. The first, raising the legal age for purchasing a firearm from 18 to 21. Now the poll found 64% of Republicans support that idea, with 42% say they strongly support it, 22% saying they somewhat support. The second question asked whether respondents support what are commonly known as red flag laws. Those are laws that give courts the power to temporarily restrict people considered to be a risk to themselves or to others from owning firearms. And again, a combined 64% of Republicans said they strongly or somewhat support that idea. So it looks like Gutierrez was off by two percentage points in his remarks to us, but overall, the large majority of Republicans polled do seem to support raising the age limit to buy guns and support red flag laws. The mother of one of the victims of the Uvalde school shooting now wants to be mayor of her home city. Kim Matarubio announced Thursday that she's joining the race for Uvalde mayor. Her youngest daughter, Lexi, was killed at Robb Elementary, and since then she's pushed for action on gun control and police accountability at the state capitol and in Washington. Mata Rubio vowed to honor her daughter's life with action. The special election for Uvalde mayor is scheduled for November. Current mayor Don McLaughlin is stepping down to run for a Texas House seat. Caregivers and loved ones of people with Alzheimer's face challenges to navigate the difficult disease. How brand new data may be able to help. New data shows a more complete picture of how many people in each Texas county have Alzheimer's or dementia. The Alzheimer's Association says it's the first time researchers have estimated the prevalence of the disease at the county level rather than one large statewide number. Investigator Avery Travis digs into the data and how it could help officials get resources to the people most in need. It's been nearly a decade. But Angela Floyd still remembers racing from her old home in San Antonio to Caldwell County. She wouldn't respond to the firemen, to the, my uncle, to the police officers. Like, she would be defiant to all of them and angry with them, but she would always recognize me. After her grandmother's Alzheimer's diagnosis and then her mother's, she said she realized there's no roadmap for this disease. Even just, like, which Medicare to choose. There's so many things that you have to learn to navigate and know. Now, she works at Golden Age Home, a nonprofit assisted living facility in Lockhart. And she runs the only Alzheimer's support and resource group in the area. Sometimes we'll have a speaker come in, and then there's sometimes where we just sit and talk, how's your week going? You know, what are you facing? According to new research, Caldwell County has an estimated 12.1% prevalence of Alzheimer's and dementia one of the highest rates in Central Texas. Compare that to 10.7% in Travis County, 10.5% in Bastrop, 102 in Williamson, and 10% in Hayes. 
the researchers say demographic trends often account for higher percentages. For example, more older people living in a region or a higher population of black and Hispanic residents who are more at risk. So it, it's a really exciting time. Andrea Torrens with the Alzheimer's Association says the first of its kind data will help organizations and public health officials better target resources. Where the funding needs to go, where the programmings really need to be with throughout Central Texas, and where we'll focus most of our energy, which is where most of the people that are living with Alzheimer's are. Sometimes it's hard to find what you're really looking for. Linda Mercer, a member of the Caldwell County Support Group, hopes that some of those resources will also benefit caregivers. We feel so isolated and so lost and helpless a lot of the times. For Floyd, the data is a path forward. There's 800 people in the county and our group runs eight to 10 people. That lets me know that I've got to do more than what I'm doing to make people aware that there is a resource and a place for them to come to to get help and support. Avery Travis for State of Texas. Researchers from Rush Medical College released these findings earlier this month at an international conference on Alzheimer's. You can explore this data online now. Just scan the QR code on your screen. It will take you to this week's State of Texas story. We have links to the data, plus more resources for you and your loved ones on how to prevent or spot signs of the disease. The researchers used cognitive data along with population and demographic statistics to produce estimates for every county in the United States. Thank you again for joining us for State of Texas. I'm Josh Hinkle. We'll be back next week to bring you an in-depth look at Texas politics.